following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're all doing well on the final day of March, Friday, March 31st, 2023. Jacob with Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7 for the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. And joined for, I think, the first 30 minutes or so, Jack Cutton in the studio as well. Good afternoon, fellas. Brother, how you doing, man? We are doing fantastic. How are you, I'm, Carter? <laughs> I'm good, Jack. How are you, buddy? Man, I'm fantastic, brother. Well, Jack, we knew or we thought you might be coming, and uh, you rolled in here at Showtime, so we appreciate you joining us here in the studio. And uh, got a great show on tap for you today here on the final day of March. Uh, got a lot to talk about. Want to recap what Christian Clemente had to say yesterday about Auburn football recruiting. Uh, I was not here. I was over calling Lee Scott Baseball on AU100 in a very fun series against Macon East. Uh, uh, the Warriors took one of two, uh, and they t- and they fell in the series of, to overall. And so a lot of exciting uh, baseball being played right now in the high school ranks. But Christian Clemente joined Carter yesterday in hour number two. You guys had some great things to say. I went back and listened uh, to the podcast and a lot of good things coming out of Auburn football recruiting right now. So we'll talk all of that, kind of recap that a little bit in case anybody missed it from the show yesterday and talk a little bit about that. Also, the Final Four is tomorrow. So we got to make some picks and predictions for who's going to make the national championship game on Monday, and you can go to our Twitter account right now at ESPN 1067 and vote in our poll. We'd love to see the results there. Uh, pretty overwhelming as of right now, but the question is Final Four, which two teams will advance to the national championship game and you can pick from the different combinations there. And so go to ESPN 1067 on Twitter and let us know or you can call in because it's Friday. You know what that means. Phone lines are wide open. 334-321-1390 That's the number to put you through to us again. 334 Maybe some opening day overreactions from MLB. Talk some Auburn baseball as they're on the road to Florida. Lots going on in the world of sports. And uh, again, we'd love to hear from you. But Jacob Go with Carter Bird. We're joined by Jack Cutton for about 30 minutes or so here in our number one. And so we'll start with recruiting for football because, again, Christian had some really good things to say. And Carter, for our listeners that maybe missed it yesterday weren't tuned in uh, when Christian Clemente of Auburn 247 was here he had a lot of good things to say what did he tell you about what's happening right now with this recruiting I mean I think when you look at what all's been happening the ability for this staff to get talent on campus and on campus frequently and high level talent guys who are five stars I think he said that uh, something in it's been like 12 five-star visits, and one of them's gone, or 12 five-stars have visited, 
in like 11 days or something, he said. It's something one of crazy. Them, one, one of them's them, twice. One of them came back twice. Yeah. Uh, and it's been it's been really impressive. I mean, it really has been to see how um, this staff had, continues to get people in the door. They make impressions. Uh, just nonstop effort. I don't think I've seen a coach, uh, and I think I didn't necessarily ask Christian this, but I don't think I've seen a coach that has exerted the effort on the trail that Hugh Freeze has. And that's why... That's why we believe that this Hugh Freeze class is going to be top 10. And Christian hasn't even higher ceiling than that. A ceiling that almost, they really did shock me. He had, he said that if everything breaks Auburn's way, he thinks this class can finish as high as four. Wow. Jeez. Wow. So that's the ceiling. That's if everything goes right, which again, that's tough to do. And, and you have flips and you have different things I like that. I thought he was but... going to say six or seven. And he went and he four. Said four or five wow. was his was his number. He said the expectation should be top fifteen. If it was not a top fifteen, it's not to there's no reason to be worried, but it feels like you can get you can get there with the way things are trending. Thing I'm most excited about, I think, for this class is the emergence again of the offensive linemen. I think you're starting to see the staff go after guys like you had a Casey Poe in there, you had a Chase Malamala, you had Jonathan Daniels, who I think is a number one OT from 2024. So there's finally and an then you emphasis have the largest again. human on earth yeah. at Clay Chalkville, <laughs> yeah, Jaquan McRoy at 6'8", 350 or 340 or whatever. Yeah. He's had good things to say about Auburn. Yeah, I think somebody, I don't know on which site, but I think he got a prediction to Auburn here recently. I'm gonna okay. try to, I'm gonna try to see uh Well one if of I the things one of the things that you and Christian had joked about yesterday, you got on the uh, the conversation about his golf game and he said that this time last year he was a lot better at golf because he had a lot more time to work on his yeah. golf swing because there wasn't a whole lot going on with Auburn football recruiting this time last year. But this year, he said he's lucky to get out on the range once or twice a week because there's so much going on. And if that doesn't show you what the difference is between Brian Harson and Hugh Freeze and this recruiting and the coaching staff, when Christian Clemente, where we have quoted him and given him the label of recruiting guru because that's why we bring him in, he's the best in the business, when he was better at golf last year because he was able to play just about every day compared to what he's doing now, yeah, there's a big difference in recruiting from last year to this year. There's no doubt about Definitely it. Definitely so. I mean, you're looking at last year and you're starting to sign guys who are who are three stars and you're starting to look at preferred walk-ons and you know, you're hearing about how how great this the preferred walk-on class is going to be beefed up every year and it's like nobody like okay, great. But let's go after some of these top talent guys. And they're going after just about everybody in the state of Alabama. And not only that, they're getting guys in to visit, and you're hearing more positive things about, I'm coming back to Auburn. I'll come back whenever they want me back. Um, it was great. It changed It changed everything. I'm back. Like, you've heard all these quotes from different guys, and they're not, you know, the 500th best player in America. They're in the top 100. They're in the top 50. I mean, these guys are coming in and they're visiting and they're starting to look at Auburn again. That's what's really exciting. This time last year, we were having the conversation and we were trying to make the best of a bad situation where there were not many kids recruited there were not many kids committing to Auburn and the narrative became and we tried to force it and it just didn't work it was about quality 
over quantity. That's what we talked about. And that's what a lot of people talked about was, okay, Brian Harson and this staff, they may not be getting a bunch of guys, but they're getting some solid guys, right? They're some high the right three guys. stars, yeah. the four stars. Like They're going after some really good dudes. It was about quality <laughs> over quantity. That was just us some, trying to say that it wasn't working out very well. I mean, diamonds in the rough. Yeah, well, that's what... Look... Because we're trying to make the best of a bad situation. That's what it was. And we truly thought that maybe what the strategy was. Turns out, they just didn't know how to recruit or didn't care to recruit. And now, with Hugh Freeze, now you're getting a little bit of both. You're getting quality and quantity right now. What I've been really impressed with is his staff's ability to, or I guess not the ability, but the willingness to go out and look at guys who are committed elsewhere. That's and, it. And really not to even play with, you know, Oh yeah, well we know you're committed, and so it's going to be a tough pull. So we're going to put our eggs in this other basket. And I mean, they're they're going in on guys like this because they know they can get them now. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Sterling Dixon, who's committed to Alabama. He's a defensive end out of Lower Alabama, I believe. Um, but that's a guy who they were on early. He commits to Alabama in the coaching change, and now he's been back on campus a few times. And so you're starting to get back into the swing of things with him. You also got uh, the wide receiver. I believe it's is it Perry Thompson that's committed there, or is it uh, Ryan Williams the next year from uh, from Where? Mobile area? That's Ryan Williams. That's what I think Ryan Williams too. So I guess he's the next both year because. Perry Thompson's from Foley. Yeah, yeah. So that so he's kind of the next year, but you're you're seeing more of this. They're willing to go out and and talk to these guys that are committed to these big schools because they know that they can go head to head with them now. So that's very refreshing. I mean, I probably haven't been this excited about a recruiting class since maybe I don't know. I, I mean, Gus had a couple of years in there where he brought in some really exciting classes, but I mean, you know, you got to go back to like I'm 2011. The last time Auburn was in a top five in recruiting, is that right? I think it's 2011 well, was see. the last time. Yeah, you'd have pull to pull it up, it up to get the exact numbers. But no, you're right. I mean, when you look at when you look at what Hugh Freeze and the staff are doing, you look at how they're actually going and talking to guys. And Jack, you brought up the point about how not only are they talking to guys who are uncommitted, they're not afraid to go and talk to guys who are committed. They're not. They're not worried about it. They are totally fine with going and talking to a young man that is already committed to Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan. They're not worried about it. They're going to go in and talk to him anyway because you know what? The worst they can do is say, no, I'm going to stick with my commitment to school A instead of flipping to you. So credit to Hugh Freeze and this staff for doing that. So you want to see inside the top 10? Let's do, uh, I guess, like top seven or something. Because I remember that Gus had a couple classes inside top ten. Yeah, he had a couple at ten, a couple at nine. Uh, I have not seen – he had one at eight in 2015. Okay. That that seven marker is a pretty good one. I don't. It's it's pulled that out of a rabbit's hat, didn't I? There you go. I almost said pulled that out of a rabbit, and that's not the correct one at all. (laughs) No, that is not. Gus had the number six class in 2014. There you go. Still been okay. Like if if you go inside the top seven with this class, it's been a decade since you've done it. Mm, That's crazy. Well, Carter, bringing Christian Clemente on yesterday, we've talked a lot about this recruiting and how it has. uh, As you've heard us sit here and talk, it is going really well, but. After talking with one-on-one with Christian yesterday, and I'd, I'd love to bring him in in a couple of weeks to see where we're sitting after spring ball with transfer report on all that, 
How do you feel talking one-on-one with Christian yesterday just about this recruiting class? And if any of our listeners were tuned in yesterday in the second hour, we'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. But Carter, just your perspective after talking with Christian yesterday about where the recruiting stands as of right now. I think that right now you've got your four four-star commits. You've got your one commit in 25. I think it's going to pick up. I think A days when you're going to see another big splash or two but I think this is gonna go better than anybody ever imagined it's gonna go better than than you imagined during the uh, coaching search when you said that there was not a coach who could get a top 10 class I did say that Hugh Freeze is gonna get one <laughs> that was our our argument about uh, at the time Deion Sanders and what he could do at Auburn yeah Little did we know Hugh Freeze can do the same thing, maybe even better. Um, And I think that I feel really good. I feel really good. And I think that there is a chance for Auburn to lock up a bunch of players in the top 12 of the state, a bunch of of four stars, maybe a few five stars, uh, really make some hay inside the state of Alabama. Yep. And we haven't seen Auburn do a great job of that in forever because of Alabama and because um, Brian Harson just didn't believe in recruiting, which is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> definitely so. We've talked about it many times before. I mean, the entire, the entire Auburn community has talked about this, but you're starting to finally see the importance being put on the offensive line, I think. I mean, there's so many targets out there. I know I said it earlier, but... I think I got a harp on that. I mean, you're you're getting the importance of the offensive line finally seems to be showing up in the recruiting room again. I mean, I think that's where you start with these guys is yeah, you definitely want to go get these these big time skill players in Alabama. Um, but you've got to go you gotta go win up front. Auburn's done that on the defensive line for a long time and they've and they've had good defensive line play for a long time now. The thing that they haven't done it on is the offensive line. They've relied on transfers, and they've really relied on guys to kind of stay in the system for a while and not quite be able to get up to speed early, but maybe by their junior or senior year, they can contribute here and there. So, you know, it's it's not a way to be sustainable, and I think that Auburn's finally going to be able to bring in some of those classes that have those big-time linemen. Well, Jack, we had a call earlier in the week talking about how, like, when we were talking spring practice and the notes that we've seen and heard from spring practice and the scrimmage and all of that as we approach A-Day coming up in just a week from now, we had a caller earlier in the week who talked about and brought up the point that all of the notes from spring practice, we're not really talking about the offensive line. We're not really talking about the defensive line, but that's in a good way because they're impressive and they're playing well and it's not a huge red flag right now as it has been in the past especially with the offensive line and you're absolutely right it's between recruiting and the transfer portal now right now I mean you're going in and playing with the guys that you got but Auburn's not afraid to go get offensive linemen anymore they realized hey you gotta win games up front that's where it starts in college football in the SEC so I thought that was a great point from a caller earlier in the week and it goes to what you're saying you gotta recruit the big boys up front if you want to have any success around I think Jake Thornton is going to be a rock star in college football in a few years just from a offensive line yes uh, game time 100 the dude's 29 years old and I think I mean he's already bringing in big time recruits he's already um, showing that he can do the job really well I'm really excited to see what he turns into in the next few years i think jake thornton jeremy garrett um 
the new linebackers coach. I'm drawing a blank on. Help me there with that. Oh, one. shoot. Um, um, but he, Josh Aldridge, right? Yes, thank you. Aldridge, those guys, Marcus Davis, you got a lot of young coaches who I think are really going to ben show that they can, yeah, that they can make an impact in the state of Alabama uh, or just on the trail in general. Uh, we already know what Zach Etheridge can do because he recruits like a madman. I mean, he literally. <laughs> At one point in time, it felt like um, with the lack of recruiting happening elsewhere on Brian Harson's staff, it was like, oh, I guess I guess Auburn's just going to run like a 3-8 next year and just have eight DBs on the field at once. Um, but just this month, really from, I think, March 12th to right now, so what, 19 days, the top 12 in the state of Alabama, which includes according to 247 uh four four stars i think this class has been sneaky is sneaky better than we thought it was going to be yeah i think they're starting to show that that's hard comparing to what last year was 11 of the top 12 have been on campus uh in the past 19 days the only one who has not is kevin riley the running back out of northport port alabama tuscaloosa county and he's going to be here, I think, on a day. Yeah, I was going to say he's got a so, visit set up. And multiple of these guys have been on campus once or twice. Cam Coleman, um, a bunch of them are going to be back at a day. A day is going to be a huge recruiting weekend for this staff. Honestly, it wouldn't even shock me if Hugh Freeze doesn't even really coach the a day game itself all <laughs> yeah. that much. I think he'll be with what we've heard. There, there have been practices where he hasn't really done much coaching because he's been on the side. Uh, talking with recruits and it's the way that they kind of like immerse these recruits into the actual practice that's crazy to me like cam coleman gave a quote that was like he's on the field reading the script with with the receivers for practice and he kind of felt like he was running in the second group because he was so such a part of it with marcus davis well didn't Hugh free say that and he and I could be wrong on this, but didn't he say that a day in the spring game is probably not going to look like your traditional spring game anyway? That it's going to be set up different, and they're going to yeah, do I think different. They're just going to go like offense versus defense. It's not going to be like they split up into two teams and do all that. I think it's going to be straight at that way, which is fine. I mean, scoring system. which he's is why done, we. I'm sorry. No, Jake, you're I good. I was going to say he's done before the the odd scoring model of like. You know, in the spring 24 game have, or something like well, that. Well, yeah, but then you have like, you know, a sack for the defense is worth two points or, um, you know, like it, it just I means stuff like that, like a turnover is worth three points and you, you score based on the things that you get as a team. And so, um, you know, obviously touchdowns are six and everything like that. But I wonder if it'll be something like that where they score based on individual plays in the game. Which I don't hate. I mean, a traditional a day or, or spring game whatever i mean we've talked about how you, we get notes from spring practice and we'll know more about the quarterback position or the wide receivers or the linebackers whatever after a day but you also have to put the asterisk behind it and say it's also just a spring game and so don't buy into it a whole lot but i think changing it up could give us a different perspective on some of those players and some of those position groups as well but got to get to our first break here in hour number one talking auburn football recruiting as we had christian clemente on yesterday but when we come back got a few more minutes with jack cut and want to talk a little bit of the final four before carter and i get into some more of it here in hour number one but give us a call we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 we'll talk to final four when we come back 
The inaugural East Alabama Weddings Magazine is here. Enjoy an entire issue dedicated to bliss. East Alabama Weddings shares the stories of local weddings, trends, styles, and highlights the best vendors to create your own special day. Pick up a complimentary issue of East Alabama Weddings at over 125 area locations. For a complete listing, visit eastalabamaliving.com. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader for the Friday edition of On the Line. Jacob, go with Carter Bird, joined by Jack Cutton. We got you for a couple of more minutes. Is that right? Yes, you do. And before we get into the final four, I want to talk about something else that happened last night. Did you see who won the NIT? Yes, I did. Oh my we, god, we did see this. The North Texas Mean Green, who, and I think I've told you about this, but I've kind of got my own uh, projections as to what the NCAA tournament would would have. And I had them as a nine seed, and they were left out. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit perturbed about that one. But they I thought you wanted, they I thought you wanted me. them to be an eight seed, no a nine seed. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. We're so not, out of that crazy. So they Carter. took all that anger and they said, we're going to destroy the NIT. We're going to do it for some kid in Auburn, Alabama's Excel bracket. That's what we're going to do it for. Bam. So congrats, boys. Wow. Mean Green did it. Had Beating UAB. The tournament, had they made the tournament, they would have been what? A 12, probably would have been a, seed? A, yeah, they probably would have been like a 12 or something like that. Because, I mean, yes, I know his his model had them as a 9. <laughs> well, which is had, wrong. But... but <laughs> you had FAU, who only lost three games all le- all year in the same conference. They were a nine seed, and they had four fewer losses. So, I mean, they would have penalized North Texas. Now, I'll tell you this. I had FAU, I believe, as a six seed. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, they're a pretty good squad. They're in the well, final well, four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, FAU is a pretty good squad. Per Kim Palm, with their win last night against UAB, they're now number 31 in Kim Palm. One spot ahead of Auburn. Auburn. Wow. <laughs> what do you know? Well, congratulations to North Texas for winning the not-in tournament tournament. So <laughs> good for them. And we got you for a couple of minutes. Carter and I are going to talk all things Final Four coming up at 2.30. But, Jack, want to get your uh, thoughts and predictions on the Final Four coming up tomorrow. Two very unexpected matchups, but should be a lot of fun. FAU and San Diego State, and then on the other side, Miami and UConn. We've got a Twitter poll going on right now, uh, so hop on Twitter, go to ESPN 106.7, and uh, vote in our Twitter poll just asking which two teams do you think will advance to the national championship game. So, Jack, who advances tomorrow out of the Final Four? Oh, my gosh. So everybody is is going to say, oh, it's going to be the least-watched Final Four game of all time, the FAU-San Diego State game. And I respond to that by saying, I can't wait to watch that game. The run-and-gun, up-and-down-the-court style of FAU versus the brick-wall defense, slow-it-down San Diego State that just runs off of 98 years of experience among everybody on their team. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. Um, I think FAU is a darn good ball club. Um, I think they've been able to, to rip off some wins here that people didn't expect, of course, to get to the Final Four. Um I tell you what, though, I really like this San Diego State team. Um, had them in one of my brackets going kind of deep, and then I think I had to get beat by like Creighton or somebody in the end. But um, 
They're a, I think they're scary. I think they play a really good brand of basketball for the tournament. Um, I think that that win over Alabama really kind of solidified their ability to take on the best. I've got San Diego State, I think, advancing on past uh, FAU to get into the national championship. On the other side, um, look, I know there's some. I know Miami's got some really good guard play, and they were able to do it last year against Auburn and uh, kind of shut those guards down. UConn's playing on another level right now, though. I mean, Adama Sanogo has been just outstanding down low for the for the Huskies. So, uh, my I think my national championship is going to be San Diego State versus UConn, and then I've got the Huskies winning it all. I've got Connecticut um, restoring some sort of balance to the college basketball world and, and saying we're not going to let a Conference USA or a Mountain West team win the <laughs> national championship. <laughs> Does it worry you uh, in the Miami UConn matchup that UConn has not played a close conference or a close NCAA tournament game yet? And Miami's kind of done it every round. Yeah, uh, I guess the the most lopsided win that Miami has is that uh, win over one seed Houston. Right. That's the one game that you feel like they kind of had. Well, I guess the the Indiana game, but but Drake, Texas, Houston was close for a while. Uh, Indiana was close until Miami just decided you don't have. We can just throw guards at you for days and days and days, and you can't deal with it. Right. Uh, and they really separated there. Uh, Connecticut has dominated everybody. I mean, they were down at half against Iona, yeah, but then they win that game by. 24 and it's basically been like that ever since yeah Miami Miami's run this year has kind of reminded you of that Auburn Final Four team where you have all these guards that you're throwing out and they're winning these really close games just every round um UConn on the other end of goes you know they've gone through some pretty tough teams you go through St. Mary's Arkansas Gonzaga and you're beating those teams by 20 or more so I still think UConn pulls this one out Um, And then I've got Connecticut winning the championship over San Diego State. If we're talking about what I hope for, though, I hope FAU wins the whole thing. (laughs) Wow. All right. Jack Hutton joining us, man. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you later. We'll talk more about the Final Four coming up when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Phone lines are still open all show long. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 as Carter and I will talk about the Final Four. Jack Hutton just dipped out of here. He, he gave us about 30 minutes, was able to stop by as uh, uh, taking care of some business outside the studio, but able to stop by and talk some ball with us for a minute. But Carter, let's talk about this Final Four tomorrow because it is not your tradition traditional final four as last year was full of blue bloods this year has none of them the one that's closest is UConn and UConn Miami the two big names FAU San Diego State nobody had them in their final four so this is a very untraditional final four and I'm here for it man it should be a lot of fun I really do think it'll be fun yeah and I I think that there's been a lot of speculation about like is this final four bad for college basketball because your name brands aren't there and it's i guess on paper it's more difficult to pull in the casual viewer uh that does typically tune in for the final four but you know what 
if you've kept up with this tournament at all, if you've kept up with this basketball season, I think this is really exciting. I think this is really fun, and it shows that the you can get hot in the tournament and you can um, make a run to the Final Four, and it's, it's unpredictable in these one-game uh, matchups and what can happen. And here we are with three teams who've never been here before and then one big brand in UConn. And, you know, I mean, I am curious. If, if UConn wins, they have to be the most dominant program of the last 20, 25 years, right? They yeah, have to. I don't know. I mean, they're up there for sure. They're definitely up there. Um, but... In the last 25 years, this would be their fifth national championship. Yeah, that's pretty solid. 99, 04, 11, 14, and then it would be 23. I forget about that 11 championship. I always forget about that one. Yeah. How about that? Interesting. I promise you nobody else really comes close to that. Yeah, I mean, that's... But again, nobody can... Would you consider UConn a a quote-unquote blue blood? I, th- I think if they get this one, we're, we're, we're going to have a conversation about it. I think you should. The, the, the same way that we we are starting to have the conversation about Gonzaga because of their sustained success. I know as much as you yeah. may dislike that conversation, <laughs> as much as we, we, I mean, you can call them a new blood or whatever. There you go. Same time period. Duke has three championships. UConn has a chance to get their fifth. I mean, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look at all of these. These blue bloods, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a comparison on how they stack up in that span of time, because I th- I don't think anybody sniffs this this UConn program right now. Yeah, and I mean again, you can't. Yeah, I mean you can't hate on that, right? In the last again, the last 25 years, you're looking at 99, 04, 2011, 2014, and if they win it this year, that would be five since 1999. So yeah, the last 25 years. Five national championships for UConn men's basketball. Not to mention their historic women's program that has been dominant for the last 20, 25 years. They have started to slip up a little bit, and that that title has started to shift a little bit on the women's side. But pretty quietly, UConn men's basketball has been dominant for 25 years. Yeah. And, and that's a great point by you to, to notice that and bring that up because, no, again, Nobody talks about them as a blue blood with Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova, right? Before this year, by the way. So they have four nat- national championships. They have five total Final Fours. The fifth Final Four that they went to was 2009. So they've gone to five Final Fours since 1998. And if they win it here, they'll go Five for six on championships when reaching the final four. That's so dominant. Tom Izzo's hit how many final fours and has and only has one? Like nine? It's like eight or something. Yeah. yeah I mean yeah. it's I think he's like one for eight in the final four. That's a conversion rate that nobody has. That'd be spectacular. Same thing with John Calipari at Kentucky. He's been to a hundred final fours and has just the one national championship. So to compare, UConn has four championships, chance to get a fifth this year. Duke has three in that span. Kentucky 2, Florida 2, Kansas 2. 
Nobody sniffs wow. this program in the last so 25 crazy, years. That's so crazy, man. That's so crazy because nobody realizes that. Exactly. Nobody talks about that. How crazy is that? That's like, awesome. It's not even talked about, really. No, it's not. And and so when you look at the Final Four, UConn is that program. They are that big name. Miami as the school is the big name, but their basketball program is not to that level yet. Then on the other side, FAU and San Diego State, two schools that people know about, but they talk more about their football most of the time than they do basketball. San Diego State has been a good program the last five or six years. And that COVID year in 2020, they were going to be a two seed and one of the best teams in the entire NCAA tournament. But nobody had them this year in their final four, which makes this really, really interesting. And we talked about this tournament coming into it. We said it was going to be historically crazy. And that's exactly what happened. You had your second one seed ever lose in the in the round of 64. You had the first time ever to not have a one seed represented in the Elite Eight. And you've got three programs that are in the Final Four for the first time. And so this tournament has been everything we wanted it to be Mm -hmm. and then some, but it reminds me of and brings up the conversation people have started talking about because we knew this tournament was going to be insane this year, and it has been. Is this the best way to declare the national champion in college basketball? That conversation comes up, and I put that into comparison with are four teams with college football, right? Remember that argument when Nick Saban and Alabama didn't get in? Is it about the four best teams? Because if you look at the final four right now, would you say those are the absolute four best teams in college basketball? No, probably no. not. I think UConn is the best team. They are right they, now. They have, I think they've shown it over the course of the season, and the metrics back it up now. I mean, when you look at it, they're the number three offensive team in the country, the number 11 defensive team in the country. They are dominating everybody. They're number one in Kimpom. They've got to be number one in the net now with how close they were um, the all year to, to the top. Even with that, they got a little banged up. They had that little run where they lost, I believe it was... It was like six, five of they six. They lost six of eight. Wow, yeah, even worse. Six of eight, they lost. They did lose uh, five of six in that run as well. But then since then, their only losses have been at Creighton by three, a good Creighton team that is not that far away from being in this game. We know that already. And uh, a neutral site game by two in the Big East tournament to Marquette, who's a two seed. So their losses are pretty good. I mean, they only have uh, the worst loss on their schedule is a home game against St. John's in that stretch run. They, their losses are Xavier, Providence, tournament teams there, both on the road, at Marquette, at Seton Hall, who's was an NIT team, I believe, right? Uh, I mean, and that's on the road. They don't have bad losses. They really don't. No, they don't. And, and they're a great team. But when you look at the Final Four, again, would you look at this and say, those are the four best teams in college basketball? No, you wouldn't. No, absolutely not. But that's not what the NCAA tournament is truly about because if that's what you wanted Match-ups to do and getting hot that's exactly what the tournament's about if you wanted to just say these are the four best teams let's have a two-round playoff and let's see who wins like you do in college football then they would do that and the ncaa tournament wouldn't exist but that's why they do it this way they do the ncaa tournament it's called march madness folks that's what it's called that's why it's called that it is march madness you get put in a 64 team tournament 68 technically and it's a free-for-all How good can you play against teams you've never played against all season long, more than likely? 
How can you adjust to playing two games in three days, traveling across the country and doing it again? And how can you adjust and play in a big 64-team tournament? That's why the NCAA tournament is what it is. It is about crowning a national champion, yes. And more than likely, do you get one of the best teams in college basketball to win it all? Yeah, you do. But the Final Four is not about trying to get the Mm -hmm. absolute four best teams in college basketball because if that's what it was about, you'd have a college football format and the tournament wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think that basketball is maybe the most unpredictable of the three major collegiate sports, especially with the way the tournament's set up, with how you got to win all these games. And you look at baseball, yes, baseball can be unpredictable. You can hit a bunch of really hard balls right at guys and lose a close game. But at least, like, regional play, it's a double elimination tournament. Uh, Super regional, it's a best of three series. College World Series, it's a double elimination tournament to the championship series, which is a three-game series. There's a little room for error, and I think the best teams can kind of navigate that. Now, we have years where Coastal Carolina wins a national championship, <laughs> or, or Fresno right. State. Right. Uh, or last year, Ole Miss was the last team in the, in the baseball tournament. They go on to win a national championship because they get hot. They, they were talented. They were dealing with injuries all year. They got hot. They make a run. They win a championship. Football... You can pretty much football's the one where I think the the cream that rose to the top asserts itself the most because there's a different level of recruiting development. And when you look at the blue chip ratio, there's a second tier developing with Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, who have been your most consistent playoff teams here recently. Because in college football, you truly have to build to be the best team in the country. That's how it's built because that's how the postseason is built. But Jack, who uh, was joining us in the first 30 minutes, and he's listening in, he sent us a text, and I think this is really good. He said, teams know what it takes going into the season. He said, that makes it perfectly fair. Build and mold your team around getting hot at the right time or sustaining a high level of success at all times. And That's exactly right. You know what you're getting into. You know, as a head coach and as a team, you don't have to win every single game like you do in college football. Get into the tournament, build your team, and get hot down the stretch, and then find your mismatches like you talked about. It's about matchups and who's hot and who's not. Mm -hmm. That's what makes the NCAA tournament so much fun. That's why it's called March Madness, and that's why it should never change. And that's why you see... FAU and San Diego State and Miami being in the Final Four for the first time, and it's awesome. By the way, furthering my my research, looking at the championships since 98. So UConn's got four. Duke and UNC have three. Then you have Kentucky, Florida, Kansas, Villanova, all with two. Then you got your one-offs, which are Syracuse, Louisville, Baylor, Maryland, Michigan State. But there's a chance for UConn to be too clear of Duke and UNC over the last quarter century. That's crazy. Yeah. And nobody talks about it. Yes. Nobody talks about it. And it's it's dominance is what it is, truly. Because we're talking about the craziness of the NCAA tournament and how difficult it is to win. 
But yet UConn's going for their fifth one in 25 years. Yeah, Five championships in 25 years in college basketball is unheard of. And you've got to give them credit. Nine Elite Eights in those 25 years. That's crazy, too. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it like the more you dig into the stats, the crazier it gets. I mean, it's it's 10 Sweet 16s, 9 Elite 8s, uh, 6 Final Fours, 4 National Championships. The tournament success is unbelievable. Like, I'm sure there are some bad years. There are some bad UConn years in there. Believe me, I've seen them. I've watched them. There are some bad UConn years in between there. But you win five national championships in 25 years. You talked about the Final Four and Elite Eight appearances. Not When they get to the tournament, they're making runs. And they're winning games when they get to the NCAA tournament. So it should not be a surprise that UConn's in the Final Four. And this is a program that kind of wandered in the wilderness for a few years after the Kevin Ollie years with the... I think there were some recruiting violations. I don't think Kevin Ollie was the man for the job. I know he won a national championship in 2014. It was the weirdest thing that's ever happened ever. Um, but Danny Hurley, Dan Hurley, what he has done to return this program back to the status that Jim Calhoun, back to the level that Jim Cal- Calhoun had it. I'm not going to say status. If he wins a national championship, then we can start to have that conversation. But to elevate this program out of because it went through it for a little bit yes it did i'm telling you it it went through it really bleak years in the latter kevin ollie years and the years immediately following and the way that he has quickly turned the program around has been really really impressive according to our statistician in jack hudden auburn is two and one against uconn in that time (laughs) is what jack says so I assume that's true. I'll take his word for it, but that's Jack's uh, that's Jack's reference is that Auburn is two and one against the most dominant program in college basketball in the last twenty five years. So that's what we've discovered on on this Friday afternoon. So uh, tell your friends, call up a buddy, uh, tell your mom and dad that UConn is the most dominant college basketball program in the last twenty five years, and the wins prove it. The wins absolutely 100%. prove it. Let's take our final break here in hour number one. Phone lines are open. Give us a call. We'd love for you to be on the line. 334-321-1390. We'll wrap up hour number one on the other side. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, talking the Final Four. Uh, we'll get into some baseball, I'm sure, here in just a little bit. And uh, in hour two, we'll talk more uh, football recruiting and catch up with what Christian Clemente had to say yesterday during hour number two. But uh, according to our Twitter poll at ESPN 106.7, we'd love for you to go and uh, give your votes talking about the Final Four. It, the, uh, the question is, which two teams will advance to the national championship game. And as of right now on the Twitter poll, 60% of our uh, fans and listeners are saying San Diego State and UConn. And I think that's the pretty popular pick. That's what Jack picked when he was in here for the first few minutes of hour one. Uh, he picked San Diego State and UConn. Carter, you and I will give some picks later on coming up in hour number two. 60% of uh, listeners have San Diego State and UConn playing on Monday night in the national championship game. 33% have 
have FAU and UConn playing in the national championship game. 6.7% have FAU and Miami, and not a soul has picked San Diego State and Miami. So that's where it sits. I was looking at that earlier, and I was like, wow. It's been Uh, up for a couple of hours, but that's where it sits right now. The the fact that when I looked at it, uh, 92.3% of people, uh, and now it's 93.3% of people, have UConn in the national championship says a lot. Yeah, and their um, betting odds are pretty overwhelming when you look at what's going on on different sites and in Vegas and stuff like that. Their national championship odds compared to the other three are pretty drastic. And Miami has the worst national championship odds because they play UConn in the in the in the first game of the well, final yeah, four. Let's, uh, Actually, that's not what I'm looking at here on FanDuel. I just pulled it up. Well, maybe UConn's, it's changed. UConn's minus 130. San Diego State is plus 390. Miami is plus 440. And FAU plus 550. Well, then that's changed because the last time I looked, Miami had the worst odds. So that must it must have changed a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, how about it? That's It's the uh, lines on these games. I am curious because they're definitely up. UConn's a five and a half point favorite, and San Diego State is a two and a half point favorite. Hmm. Interesting. Man, and, and again, we're like going to talk about gonna, it, but I feel like FAU is going to win that game. They have a chance, but see, here's the problem. I want to say that FAU's offense can win, but Alabama's offense couldn't win. And Alabama's offense is better than FAU's, but does San Diego State just run out of gas, maybe? I don't know, but you're looking at two teams that are making runs in the NCAA tournament. Which one gives in? Which one does? Just which one's tank runs out first, basically, is what this game's going to come down to. And Jack talked about the run and gun of FAU versus the stand in the paint, knock knock some bodies around from San Diego State, the physicality from them, which we talked about why they would beat Alabama, and they did. Um, It's going to be a really interesting matchup. What's the total for that game? San Diego State-FAU, if you still have it pulled Uh, up. Give me one second. If I had to guess, I'm going to say for San Diego State-FAU, I'm going to put it at 142.5. Very high. Very high. Really? 130, like 135 or something? 131 and a half. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're they're not the expecting game, FAU to score a lot then. The other game is 149 and a half. I would believe that. I would absolutely believe that. I just figured they would give FAU, maybe even San Diego State, a little bit more offensive love on that. But I guess not. I was wrong on that by a lot, actually. <laughs> That's But sounds to me that they're banking on San Diego State's defense to do what they've done the entire NCAA tournament yeah. and lock people down. And they're not a good offensive team, and I think that will help a 30th-ranked FAU defense kind of keep them uh, in check. And, I mean, you look at the games that San Diego State has played in the tournament so far. 60 uh, – or wait, hang on. I'm looking at the wrong one. 63-57 against Charleston. 75-52 against Furman. 71-64 against Alabama – and 57-56 against Creighton. Gosh. Yeah, you you said it. They're not a good offensive team. They allowed 64 points to Alabama, and that's the highest amount of points wow. they've allowed in the Wow. They're not good offensively, but they will lock you down on defense. We'll talk more about the Final Four. Baseball, football, all coming up in hour number two.
Nine, live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody, here on the last day of March. Friday, March 31st, 2023. Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird, with you in hour number two here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. If you missed any of hour number one, uh, Jack Cutton joined us for a few minutes, about half of hour number one, to talk a little Auburn football recruiting and recapping what uh, Christian Clemente had to say yesterday from Auburn 247 him and Carter sat down and talked a lot of Auburn football and recruiting the status of all of that as we approach a day so we recovered and uh, went over that in our number one also talked about the final four and made a pretty big revelation that should shock the world any minute now and so uh, if you missed any of that in our number one be sure to go and catch up with the podcast you can find it at ESPNAU.com commercial free right after the show or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast but coming up here in hour number two we'll talk some baseball with opening day yesterday maybe some overreactions from opening day around major league baseball also preview auburn baseball who goes on the road for florida this weekend Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit and then later on we'll make our final picks and predictions for the final four coming up tomorrow in houston but phone lines are open here in hour number two give us a call we'd love to hear from you three three four three two 1390 call in be a part of the show you can be on the line 334-321-1390 and carter we'll start with overreactions from mlb opening day things that you saw things that may be on your mind about whether it be the braves or somebody else in the division somebody else around major league baseball overreactions from opening day yesterday well um Braves win, but I'm worried about Max Fried. He's going on the IL. Is it an overreaction to be worried about Max Fried? Maybe a little bit. I mean, I just don't love to see your opening day starter go down on the first start. Uh, I know he'll be back. I know he'll be fine. Um, But also, you're going to hate this one. The Orioles are kind of nasty. Adley Rushman's a stud. Yeah. Adley Rushman went five for five. With a home run, may have had a double as well. Uh, I'm actually gonna gonna look at that and see. They had see. ten runs on fifteen hits yesterday. Did the Baltimore Orioles against my Boston Red Sox, who had and nine a runs? Third of their hits were by one man. Yeah, yeah, and in that situation, you can't even say it was the Red Sox pitching. He's just a really good hitter. <laughs> He's, He's just, just a, a really stud. good player. He's a monster. Yes. He's a monster at Oregon State. He's a monster in big league baseball. Wearing the same colors. I think he'll be the best. Uh, I'll make a just gut dumb. Here's an crazy, overreaction. Here we crazy go. Crazy statement. <laughs> Adley Rushman's going to be the best catcher in the AL this year. Wow. Wow. In the AL. Mm-hmm. That's a bold statement. That is possibly an overreaction, but it may not be. May very well be 
a true statement, but uh, he played really well. Yes, my Red Sox fell short. They were down pretty big early. They made a comeback, but they do lose 10-9 to on opening day. Braves, you mentioned that. They win 7-2 to on opening day in Washington, D.C., Max Fried goes down. Uh, he was pulled, and, and I think that was more precaution, but we'll see how that goes in the future. But, yeah, Braves fans are probably not feeling uh, feeling great that Freed goes down and gets pulled in his start on opening day, but hopefully there's nothing to worry about right there. Um, this is not an overreaction. This is just a true statement. Shohei Otani is the best baseball player alive, and he plays on one of the worst baseball franchises in the league. He played phenomenal yesterday, and the Angels still lose to one of the other worst franchises in Major League Baseball, the Oakland A's. So my my statement, along with everyone else as a fan of baseball, get Otani out of Los Angeles. Please get him out of out of the the Angels and put him on a competitive team. Because if that happens, oh my goodness. How much fun would it be to watch that man pitch in October? I'm looking at this A's roster. There's like three, four guys on the on the in the starting lineup that I guess technically five. And the only reason why I know who Jace Peterson is is he at one point was on the Braves. Like they're a really just gross team. But you look at this Angels team. I mean Shohei, he goes gets and hit. He gets a hit. He walks. He gets on base twice. He goes six innings, he strikes out ten, gives up two hits, no runs, no uh, three walks, and you lose. And it's like the 26th time that a pitcher has had ten strikeouts in six innings without giving up a run uh, since 1901. And that was the first time of those 26 times that the pitcher has lost. Yeah. We get those stats way too often somebody free Shohei Otani this is the free free Shohei Otani that is what we are preaching here in this second hour on the Friday edition of our show he did have his right fielder may have made the uh potential catch of the year on day uh, one on day one (laughs) on day one fro uh former Mississippi State player who was a stud at Mississippi State was a monster um he opens the wrong way on a really well hit ball into right center and just kind of no look throws his glove behind him and catches it to save what would have been at least a double maybe a triple former member of the boston red sox as well mm-hmm. yeah he had a great he was catch. decent on the, he, well, on the he red was. sox yeah yeah he was he a did, solid he player hit a lot of home runs he did he was a home run hitter and that was kind of it but he was still a really good player and yes had a a really good play in the outfield yesterday could this be an overreaction that the stacked San Diego Padres team that has some of the biggest names in all of baseball got beat 7-2 to yesterday by the Colorado Rockies after the Rockies had, wait for it, seven runs on 17 hits against San Diego yesterday. The Padres just two runs on seven hits with an error. It's opening day. With There's a CJ lot of baseball. With going deep twice yeah. in that game. And that was Blake Snell who started that game for the Padres on opening day. I mean, Blake Snell is good, but I don't think he's the guy that we have seen in the past mm-hmm. um, with the guy who has won a Cy Young. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how about the heart of that Rockies lineup? Chris Bryant, three for five. Charlie Blackman, three for five. CJ Crone, four for five with two home runs and five RBIs. Montero behind him, 
two for five. Those are solid dudes. You've got a bunch of dudes in a row right there with multiple hits. And when you string together a bunch of hits in a row, that's how you score enough runs to win a game like that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, it's hard to have true overreactions just after one day of baseball, but you see baseball fans all over social media, all over TV, uh, talking about how their team is going to win the World Series after day one or Our team is terrible after day one, but some big results uh, in Major League Baseball last night. The White Sox take down the Astros 3-2 on opening day as the Astros, our defending world champions, lose the first game out of the gate. But again, it's game one, a lot of baseball to go. But speaking of baseball, we'll switch to the college side of the game. Auburn going on the road this weekend to take on a very, 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 very good Florida program on the road in Gainesville, but you're going to see a different rotation from Auburn this weekend on the mound, and I don't hate it. Yeah, it's going to be Will Cannon, uh, John Armstrong, your two best relievers on the mound. Uh, And those guys, I mean, from talking to Lindsey Crosby, they've had to extend out their relief uh, outings. So I think they kind of were like, okay, these have been our best two pitchers. Let's just start the game with them. John Armstrong's never started a game in his life, according to Lindsey Crosby. Um, but yeah, he also leads the team in wins. And I think that's because you see these guys have to come in in games where Auburn's already down a handful of runs and Auburn has to figure it out and come back and win. And that's why John Armstrong leads the team in wins. Let's see if he can, if he can give you, if these guys can give you four innings of two run baseball three-run baseball, Auburn's going to have a chance to compete in the series. Tommy Vale is getting the other start. We've seen some ups and some downs with him. His start against um, Arkansas was really good. Um, and I am very curious to see if if he can round into a reliable arm in the rotation as Auburn just tries to get healthy. I mean, injuries have held this team back. Uh, but on offensively, Ike Irish, Bryson Ware leading the way. Cole Foster is back, and he's playing well. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- this team has talent. It has not been super consistent so far, and they're pl- playing a really talented Florida program, really talented Florida team uh, with Jack Caglianon, um, or Caglione, I think is the official pronunciation, even though that's not how it's written at all. Not even close. But he is one of the biggest unicorns in college baseball this year with the fact that I think he has, at last count, Lindsey Crosby had the tweet about it, I think he had 33 strikeouts. Uh, Let's see. Let's see if that's gone even higher. He has 35 strikeouts now. He has thrown 29 innings this year. Uh, Pretty good ERA at 3.41. But it's the hitting numbers that are crazy he's batting 400 this year he's uh got an ops of 1433 he has 17 home runs that i believe still leads the nation but i'm not entirely sure there it just speaks to the talent of what auburn is going up against it speaks to what auburn has to do this weekend 
on the road at Florida coming off of a uh, an impressive midweek game but uh, again the midweek games this is what they're for you beat North Alabama 14 to 1 in seven innings uh, you had true freshman Drew Nelson who had an impressive showing on the mound uh, in a game where Auburn like you mentioned Carter just trying to get healthy trying to get through the midweek and prepare for what is a top five program in all of college baseball right now in the Florida Gators and so uh, you go on the road this weekend if you're Auburn, I think expectations, realistic expectations, win a game. Go down and win a game against this Florida team on the road. It's a really tough place to play in the SEC. Go down and win a game. You would love to win the series, right? You would absolutely love to do that. But given the new rotation, given the talent of Florida, the healthness, healthiness, how do you say that? The health of Florida, um, Auburn should just expect try to win a game should be the expectation in my opinion don't get swept get a game under your belt and move on to next week by the way Bryson Ware is ninth in the country in home runs how about 12 how about that tied for ninth there's a handful of guys along with a Troy player that he is tied well there you go all right well again Auburn on the road Auburn baseball that is on the road uh, at Florida so unfortunately no tickets to give away this week but Auburn will be home next weekend so we may or may not have some tickets to uh, give away for Auburn baseball but yeah talking baseball here in the first segment with Auburn and uh, MLB opening day uh, you've got uh with MLB, it's weird because opening day was yesterday and then a bunch of teams take the day off with it being Friday and then they pick it back up this weekend. I have a gripe about that. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know where this is going. You have games wall-to-wall all day on opening day. Not a single day game today. Not a single one. Why not? You know how badly I wanted just to like be able to find a game to watch? And you know how hard it was to find games to watch yesterday? ESPN, the, the TV station, had one. They had one game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Everything else was local markets or how I support, tune in on radio, but you couldn't find any of the games yesterday. And then a bunch of teams... It'll be TV, man. It uh, gives you access to this thing. <sighs> yeah. That's what we need is more subscriptions in this world. Just pay subscription here, subscription there. No. But you're right. No games, no day games today. The earliest start is 540 with the Mets and the Marlins who, hey, the Mets... Despite having the world crumble around them, they did win their first game on opening day. So maybe Mets fans are doing okay. Maybe. Maybe not. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you're without your closer. And <laughs> yeah. you're running uh, old man David Robertson out there as your closer now. And Justin okay. Verlander's already hurt. And he hasn't even pitched an inning for you. Yeah. And that, that news broke like right before opening day got underway. And then Mets fans just. I think they just accept it at this point. They just know that bad things happen to them because they are Mets fans. Uh, Auburn alum Garrett Cooper hit a home run that tied it at three, and I had all this hope that the Marlins were going to figure out a way to win that game. But they didn't. I actually saw a stat about the SEC, uh, SEC being represented in uh, opening day rosters. All but one professional baseball team in major league baseball has an sec representative on it the only team that doesn't is the washington nationals but every other team has a player on their opening day roster or on the yeah on the team that is represented by an sec school isn't that interesting all but one team in major league baseball has an sec player on it how about that i'm 
I'm really curious here now. Um, I think I know. the SEC or the SEC Network posted something about it because I saw it either yesterday or today, uh, probably yesterday with it being opening day. But yeah, I saw it. It was the graphic and it had all the team's logos on it and all of them were like kind of lit up a little bit except one and it was the Washington Nationals and they were talking about how all teams but one had an SEC representative on it. Yeah, and uh, there was an SEC representative on the Nationals last year. Former Auburn alum Josh Palacios, yeah, uh, who played for the Netherlands in the World Baseball Classic. By the How way. about that? How about that? We're just dropping all kinds of trivia on the show today. But let's get to our first break here in hour number one. We'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Be sure to go and vote in our poll on Twitter at ESPN1067. Uh, It's talking about the Final Four. Which two teams do you think will get to the Final Four? We'll talk about that when we come back. And also, four years ago today, was very historic for Auburn basketball fans just a short time ago. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. As we sort of transition back to uh, basketball with the Final Four taking place tomorrow in Houston. And before we get to that, we'll talk about our Twitter poll a little bit some more as well and make some interesting comparisons. It all kind of loops together, so stick with me here. Four years ago today, Carter, to the day, Auburn basketball in 2019 completed their juggernaut run to the Final Four, defeating Kentucky in overtime in Kansas City to advance to the Final Four. Isn't it crazy that was already four years ago? Yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it feels like Jared Harper and Bryce Brown have been playing in the G League and all these different professional leagues for a while at this point in time. And I I think it's crazy that it's been that long because we almost we we block out uh twenty twenty. Uh the the year that there was no tournament and that everything uh the the pandemic shut everything down. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's almost like a like a it's like in a it's like in a hotel when they don't have the thirteenth floor. Yeah, you it's just like kinda, that kinda you yeah, just kinda yeah, skip yeah. over it and, yeah. and move forward. Yeah. Exactly. That's 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 kind of what it feels like. So I think that's part of the reason why uh, it feels like it's been um, shorter than forty years. That's fair. And uh, you know the hashtag "Do It for Chuma" started when uh, Chumo Kiki went down with the uh, nasty injury in that uh, North Carolina game. Where I mean, I I still stand to to this statement, and I don't think it's very drastic or crazy if Chuma doesn't get hurt. Auburn wins a national championship. I mean, Auburn yes. would win the national championship. Chumo was the best player in that tournament, without a doubt. And without they still doubt. they still should have won it without Chumo Kiki. I mean, that's we know what we know how much of a sore subject that is for Auburn basketball fans, and it will haunt them and us and everybody in town for the rest of our lives. But if Chuma doesn't get hurt, man, that team would have rolled through Virginia and they would have rolled through Texas Tech. I still believe if they call the double dribble, if Auburn doesn't foul, if Auburn just shows up for more than 10 minutes of that basketball game, when they beat Virginia, I truly believe even that team without Chuma, they would have beaten Texas Tech by 20. They would have beaten them by 20. 
Easily. I have no doubts in my mind. So from that, from hitting that buzzer beater against Georgia, he had 13 points, six rebounds in that game. Uh, I think it was 11 and 7, 17 and 14 against at Alabama, on the road at Alabama on a win. How about that? I was there for that game. Uh, 22 and 5, 12 and 5, then a couple bad games. But then the, the, you see him in the conference tournament championship, 18 and 13 in that just route of that Tennessee team. 13 and 5, 12 and 5, and before the knee went out, 20 and 11. Yeah, he was just and eleven. He was so good, man, and he he had so much potential and was growing into just a fantastic player. He was such a good representative of Auburn. Chuma Okiki mm-hmm. was, and you could tell. And I don't think we truly knew it until he was injured. Just how big and and how much of a heart he had for this team, and how much of the center of heart he was for the team. Right, I think. You didn't realize that until he went down and you saw the emotions of the players. And even Bruce Pearl has the historic post-game interview where he was in tears and said, look, Chuma's hurt. Like he, He's hurt. He's hurt really bad. We're going to go check on him. But yep. uh, he said Chuma's hurt, and he was in tears talking about it. So you realized just what Chuma Okiki meant to that Final Four team. But uh, yeah, four years ago today, Auburn completed the run through three straight blue bloods of Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky in overtime in Kansas City. I was there. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a crazy trip. Uh, made made the drive from Birmingham on Saturday. We left at noon. It was me, uh, my father, and two of our guy friends. We all hopped in the car, and we left Birmingham at noon. We drove all the way to Kansas City. We left Birmingham at noon, drove all the way there, 13 hours, got in there at what one or two o'clock in the morning whatever it was and got up too man yeah got up went to the game we went to tiger walk we went to the game it was like a two o'clock tip or something the game ended we watched the celebration it was an overtime it was the most stressful sporting event Carter I've ever been to in my life the most stressful sporting event I've ever been to was the elite eight in Kansas City for Auburn basketball watched Auburn win watched them cut down the nets we hopped in the car and we drove straight back to Birmingham and I got up and went to class. I didn't even go to sleep. I went to class that next day. I went to class on Monday morning after Auburn went to the Final Four. Yeah, I I was there for that Elite Eight game as well. But I was also there, what, a month and a half before when Auburn went to Lexington with Chuma and got the doors blown off them? I was there for that too. <laughs> I was there for that. I didn't think in my wildest dreams or like imagination that mm. that Auburn team was going to beat that Kentucky team because I knew how good that Kentucky team was. I thought that that Kentucky team was a dark horse national championship team. I think if I think the winner of that game at full strength wins the national championship. Yeah, I think I so. Feel that way, that team was that that was a good, really, really good S- Kentucky Stephen team. Stephen Pearl's scout and his plan and how they played Tyler Hero. In the in that matchup compared to the other one, unbelievable. They shut Tyler Hero down after he had been just killing people all tournament, mm-hmm. and and you saw they were able to make Kentucky uncomfortable and do enough. Bryce Brown started shooting 
mid-range pull-ups that we had not seen him do in his Auburn career in four years. It was so awesome. And he was money. Yes, he was. Money. Auburn had some dumb shots in that game. The put-back from Wiley that he just jumped over a man and it hit off the back iron, off the backboard, fell in. Uh, You had McLemore make some crazy shots down in the lane. Uh, Bryce Brown making threes. You talked about the mid-range shots. I mean, just... All kinds of crazy shots. Auburn had some of the meanest blocks in that tournament, too. The one by Malik Dunbar off the backboard in transition where he just yelled and just swats it off the backboard. Oh, he gets a a whole sentence out while in the air. (laughs) Yeah. You can't say that sentence on radio. No, I'd like to keep my job. Um, uh, But but he gets a whole sentence, and it picks it up just clear as day. Um, I think about the game before against UNC. Schuma had a great one, but Austin Wiley did just... Had the meanest block I've ever seen to Leaky Black. Leaky oh, Black goes yeah. up for a two-handed dunk. Yeah, Wiley swings his hand through, catches nothing but ball, spikes it into the second row, and Leaky Black gets a giant Austin Wiley elbow to his nose, just in his face. But yeah, Auburn, that Auburn team was so much fun, man. That was fun, man. And four years ago today, that's why we're talking about it, four years ago today, Auburn completed the run through Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky to get to the Final Four. And what's interesting is there's a team in this year's Final Four that has a very similar run. Jack talked about it earlier. We'll talk about it some more coming up when we come back, make our picks and predictions. Which team in this Final Four compares to Auburn's 2019 team? We'll talk about it when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird got a few more segments before we are out of here for the weekend and uh, hope you all have some great weekend plans. Some bad weather supposed to roll in tonight, early tomorrow, so uh, uh, be safe. Weekend, man. Yeah. Every yeah, week. I know. Just got to get ruined. I know. And I'm supposed to have a Lee Scott baseball doubleheader tomorrow. I don't think that's going to happen. But in case it does, Lee Scott baseball tomorrow, AU100. That's 100.3 on your radio dial, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app playing uh, Altaga at 11 a.m. and Evangel at 1. Uh, so it's a little uh, three team, uh, little tournament type of thing going on. Not really a tournament, just teams coming down to play a couple of games on Saturday. But but weather will probably make sure that doesn't happen, but hopefully not. We'll see what happens. But just in case, uh, you can tune in tomorrow at au100fm.com. But Carter, as we teased going into the break, we were talking about Auburn's Final Four run in 2019 because today marks the four-year anniversary that Auburn uh, won in the Elite Eight to advance to the Final Four. And there's an interesting comparison with a team that's in this year's Final Four that looks very, very similar to what Auburn had to do in 2019 to get to the Final Four. The run that this team is making right now through some big-name schools, some teams that have some really good players, some really good coaches, but yet they've made their first Final Four appearance in school history Miami and you broke it down Jack talked a little bit about it in hour number one but when you start really looking into it and comparing the two teams and the two runs they've made it's eerily similar 
Well, I mean, here's the path. I mean, both of these teams are five seeds. Both of these teams um, were matched up with 12 seeds that everybody thought could give them trouble. I mean, Auburn that year played a New Mexico State team that had won 30 games. Chris Jans, who's now at Mississippi State, was the coach of that team. Uh, Very good team. This Miami team, they were taking on Drake, who uh, was 27-8. Tucker DeVries was one of the most talked about kind of mid-major players in this tournament. It was a very popular upset pick. It really was, especially with the fact that Miami had had a uh, a big man go down, so they were a little shorthanded. They were a popular pick to um, falter early in this tournament. Both teams struggle with that 12 seed, but they escape. Auburn escaped by a closer margin, 78-77. Off of an air ball, wide open three. Exactly. Drake had the lead against Miami pretty late, if I recall. Miami comes back to win 63-56. Then in round two, you see both of these teams, who keep in mind, at the time, neither of these teams had been to the Final Four. Second round, they take on four seeds of big blue blood national brands that are not at their kind of peak of power. They're not at their highest heights. Auburn taking on a Kansas team that had struggled a little bit in that season, but was still very, very talented. Miami takes on Indiana, who is one of your older Blue Bloods, and and that's... I'll get back to it here in one second, but I'll let you pick up for a second. Yeah, as Carter goes to uh, answer the phone lines, comparing the Auburn 2019 Final Four run to Miami this year and how similar they are. Yes, Auburn ran through the bluest of blue bloods with uh, Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky, but Carter was talking about how Miami struggled in their first round game against a 12 seed as a 5 seed. Then you go and play a blue blood type of program, not a blue blood at the time in Indiana, but a team that had been playing really, really well. And then Auburn, of course, played Kansas. Both teams excel, and they move on. And so that's where we sit with that. You can continue. And so you had this uh, Auburn really kind of boat race that Kansas team, dominate them and win the game by double digits. They won by 14. Uh, Well, the Indiana-Miami game was close for about 25 minutes. And then Miami separated. They go on to win the game by 16, uh, dominate them in the second half. Then you move on to the one seed. Because Auburn had UNC, one of the most talked about teams in that tournament. A team that a lot of people thought were gonna was potentially going to win the championship. Very hyped. Miami got Houston, who was very, very similar I mean, they were the second betting favorite in this tournament behind Alabama. Again, both teams kind of handle business, kind of uh, dominate their one seeds. Miami winning by 14 against Houston. Auburn, with Chuma going down in the second half, goes on to beat uh, North Carolina by 17 in a game that they were they were down by a lot early, too, and came back and won. Very slow start. Um, both teams coming back in those games. And then you move on to the Elite Eight, where you've got a really talented, good two-seed for both of these teams in Texas and uh, Kentucky. Both games come down to the wire. 
both teams have to come back in that game. Um, Miami wins 88-81. Auburn goes to overtime, upsets Kentucky 77-71. Both teams advance to their first ever Final Four. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? What a comparison, and it's so similar, and it's so awesome to see and exciting to compare different runs and different teams from different NCAA tournaments and very interesting on how similar Auburn's 2019 Final Four run, which was four years ago today that was solidified after beating Kentucky, and Miami in the Final Four, how similar the runs are Miami taking on UConn tomorrow night in Houston. Let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. And Terry, you're on the line. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, guys. How's it going? Doing well, Terry. Um, let me ask you guys a question. What kind of relationship does Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates have? I don't know. A mutual okay, respect, I thought, if I had to guess. <laughs> I would think it'd be nice if Bruce invited him down to let him look at the final four, the final four, the final four banner. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, and the uh, I think you get a ring for that as well. Yeah, so since since everybody was penciling Alabama in, and, and Nate Oates is, is you know doing what he's doing. Yeah, when they go to the SEC meetings, Bruce probably Bruce probably wears his ring and makes sure he shakes his hand with that one and all that. No, no, no. I think Bruce is especially motivated to try to beat Nate Oates in Alabama. I think he also knows what Alabama is and what they could become if Nate Oates continues to do what he's doing. Yeah. But at the same time, the is the worst kept secret in the world that Brandon Miller turning pro. No, I mean he's already declared. Oh yeah, no, no, he's That's what he, I mean. he's, he's already, already done, declared. Yeah. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that was yeah. the worst kept secret in, in pro sports or in sports. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, um, we we knew that. I mean, there's certain guys you can pick out every year that you know are going to right. declare and and go pro, and um, he was one of them because I mean he's the number three kind of projected pick right now behind Victor Wimbenyama and Scoot Henderson. Well, I say it, Jacob and Carter. I say there's a better chance of Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump getting along with him not going pro. Yes, so, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, ask you guys a question about that 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 particular season. I always remember two things about that season. First of all, the road was incredible, as you just said, Carter. People forget that all the time. Yeah. But the other thing was how they got hosed against Virginia. Auburn fans didn't forget. I promise you that. It is. No, no, I don't think they've forgotten, but it's still there. Oh, it's, it is there, and it is well, and it is something, Terry, that will haunt uh, Auburn fans, Auburn media, Auburn, Auburn. The Auburn family will remember that moment and that game for the rest of their lives. And, yes, there are multiple things that Auburn got hosed on. You're absolutely right. But, Terry, if Auburn shows up and plays any more than the last 10 minutes of that basketball game, they're not even in a situation to get screwed over. They would have beaten Virginia by 20 if they would have played the whole game. If they had a healthy Chimo Kiki, they would have beat them by 20 easily. Exactly. No doubt about it. Chuma Chuma changes that entire tournament. I just think that was an incredible setup that they wanted Virginia to win that t- title, and that, that just—I uh, don't know. I just—that's just me talking. I don't know anything, and I'm not making any kind of prediction. But it just seems like to me we're favoring Virginia on everything. Yeah, and without that national title, Virginia is a without. And again, they won the national championship. You cannot take that away from Tony Bennett and that Virginia program. But if you take that out. It's been a pretty disappointing five or six years. And again, it's hard to just take away a national championship. But when you do that for the sake of conversation, I mean, they were the first one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed. They just haven't been to that level of a program outside of that national championship and and one that Auburn fans would like to argue that it should have been theirs. 
So here's the question I got for you. Is Tony Bennett this, the basketball versus of Gene Chizik? Hmm. I think he's, I, I, I think I, he's I, a little I, bit I, got nothing. I think he's a little bit better than I don't than think Gene, that's, that's being fair to Tony Bennett at all. I mean, to, Tony okay. Bennett has been a more consistent, like, high-end coach than Gene Chizik ever was. Gene Chizik had, yeah, I agree. had the 09 season going to the Outback Bowl. Then he had the national championship with Cam Newton and Nick Fairley, where he had the two most he had the most impactful offensive and defensive players in the country, bar none, in college football that year. And then you have the the uh, Peach Bowl year, the year after that, where you go beat Virginia. Yeah, I mean it was off the rails pretty quickly. You look at Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. Has a Final Four, National Championship, six ACC regular season championships, two ACC tournament championships. I mean, his resume is a good bit different than yeah. uh, Gene Chizik's has ever been. Yeah, see, see I, I didn't know all that, Carter, so I appreciate you enlightening me there because that's your right. But I compare Gene Chizik strictly to Ed Orgeron. They are the same people. They're the same person. They both wrote a great quarterback, a great defensive player, and a great senior class, and a great running back that's to a championship. Fair. I mean, I would say, I would say that if anything, Coach O benefited from more luck than Gene Chizik did because no, you look at all the first rounders on that team. That was the, a borderline NFL talent, squad he was playing with, man. And it felt like Joe Burrow was the exact personality that team needed to keep, kind of handle the reins of that team, keep everybody in check, and elevate everybody to a different level. You look at. 2010 Auburn, there's like three offensive players that go on to play in the NFL, and it's a sixth-round tackle, a seventh-round tackle, and Cam Newton. And then on defense, it's like three guys as well. The talent difference from 2010 Auburn to 2019 LSU is incredibly vast, and that's why I think we underrate Cam Newton's 2010 season. The numbers he did with the lack of talent around him – is unbelievable. So, Carl, I want you to draw the comparison that both coaches were absolute yeah. buffoons. Agreed. And, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that, that Coach O, if anything, you could say he's more of an extreme example because he just kind of stumbled into ridiculous talent. You want to talk about one and done, buddy. Yeah, there's something, there's something wrong with guys talking about the cookie monster that much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, is it, by the way, guys, last thing, is there any football news today or anything? Today, uh, or any, anything I've missed on the past couple of days. I know you guys had your phones down, so yeah, we did. Yeah, Monday and Tuesday had uh, some phone issues here at the studio. Uh, yesterday in the second hour, uh, I was not here, Terry, but Christian Clemente of Auburn two four seven joined Carter uh, to have a oh, lot of a lot of recruiting information. They talked recruiting basically the entire second hour yesterday. I uh, well, you can go and uh, you can always listen to the podcast here if you want yeah. to, you know, ESPNAU.com or just search on the line. You can always do that. But he had some really, really good information. Um, Auburn just, they're killing it in recruiting, man. They're they're getting yeah. guys on campus. They're getting big names on campus from the state of Alabama. And A-Day should be a very, very big day for recruits on campus. That's, that's exciting. Guys, take care. Have a great day. Yep, you too, Appreciate Terry. It, have Terry. a good weekend. Good to hear from you. That is Terry joining us on the phone lines and uh, hit a, a few times topics there but yeah all good points and um yeah just to to get back to what we were discussing before terry joined us and we do appreciate him calling in and we'd love to hear from you as well 334-321-1390 the comparison of auburn's 2019 final four basketball team 
versus this year's Miami squad, it's a really good realization. Yeah. It's a really good comparison, and I I love it. I absolutely love it. I I I just. I get so excited on things like this when you can compare two different runs in the NCAA tournament because it's so hard to make a run like that and it's so hard to go through so many good teams as a five seed because you play some of the best teams in the entire tournament and Miami is doing that right now and they have a chance to beat the best team in the tournament tomorrow in UConn. Yeah, and and that's something that I really am curious about when you look at this matchup because... It feels like Miami's never out of a game. With the way that those guards can can get rolling, make plays, bring them back from deficits like that. Because it felt like Texas had control of that game the whole way. Those Texas guards looked so good. Texas had control. Miami goes on a run, and all of a sudden, boom. Like, they're right there at the very end. They win the game by seven. Uh, you look at the way that when they played Indiana... Close game, close game, close game. Miami's guards take over. Boom, all of a sudden it's a 16-point game. Um, kind of similar in the way that uh, they played Houston. And they're capable of coming back no matter how far they're down. And if Houston starts, or if, I keep saying Houston because Miami played them earlier. Uh, if UConn starts, if they get that 11-point lead, in the second half, do they kind of think, oh, ho-hum, this is another one of these games that we just dominate in. And then all of a sudden, at the five-minute mark in the second half, they look up and they're like, oh, dang, this team's within three. This team's within two. I wonder if Houston gets tight and Miami pulls an upset there. I would like to think that UConn wouldn't have that mindset just because of what they did to Gonzaga, who's a really, really good team who is never truly out of a game where UConn handled them the entire way. I would like to think that UConn wouldn't have that mindset where if they get up, they won't worry about it, but... Doesn't it feel like when it goes bad for Gonzaga, it can get really ugly really fast? I wonder why that is. Like, think about the national championship against Baylor where everybody thought they were going to win and be crowned the greatest team of all time. And then Baylor smokes them. Not me, buddy. Smokes them. Not me, buddy. Start to finish. I knew not because it was Gonzaga. I just knew that Baylor team was unbelievable. I, I, they were the best two teams in the country. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's and get it was such a great game. Let's get to our final break. We'll make our final picks and predictions for the final four coming up as we wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line. When we come back, you are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, making our final picks and predictions for the Final Four tomorrow in Houston. The first game is FAU and San Diego State. One of those two programs will play for a national championship, which if you don't like the sound of that, then get out because that's what college basketball is about, baby. That's what March Madness is. Then the second game, Miami and UConn. Carter, we've got about four minutes before we get out of here, so we got to go through this quickly. We'll start with FAU San Diego State. Who wins and why? FAU San Diego State. Uh, I was feeling FAU because it has kind of Team of Destiny vibes to me. 
Um, but over the course of the show, I've just started to get this bad feeling about what, what happens if uh, you've got Bradley and Trammell and these guys for San Diego State. What happens if they just hit shots? Because they haven't really hit shots in the tournament, and they just found ways to win. Um, I'm going to go San Diego State in a close, low-scoring game that people are going to complain about that it's, it's a gross game. You took the words right out of my mouth. What happens if San Diego State decides they can score? And I think they will. It won't be pretty, but they will do enough. They're so good defensively. If they can stop Alabama, they can stop FAU. I'm going to take the physicality, the experience, and the depth of San Diego State over FAU. Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to switch back. I'm going to flip-flop here. <laughs> what? I'm going to, to be different. Okay. To be different. Okay, and fair. because I remembered That's fair. my favorite player in this tournament, I think he's kind of a mini Keontae Johnson, Elijah Davis for FAU. Dude is a um, stud. I like him a lot. He yeah. had a nasty dunk in the last game. Um, sure, why not? Let's go why FAU not, for fun. Why not? Why not? I've got San Diego State. You have FAU. <laughs> Are you going to differ with me on this one? Miami and UConn. According to our Twitter poll at ESPN 106.7, we asked you, our listeners, uh, to uh, to go and make your picks on which two teams would advance to the national championship game. 56% of you said San Diego State and UConn. 37.5% said FAU and UConn. 6% said FAU and Miami. And nobody has picked San Diego State and Miami. Who wins, Miami or UConn? I'm going to UConn. UConn's too good. They're the best team in the country. Adama Sanogo is unbelievable. Jordan Hawkins is really good. They're deep. Uh, they're built for this. And the thing is, when when Sanogo, who's about as physical of a center, when he goes out, in comes Donovan Klingon, the 7'2", 265-pound freshman. So, I mean, yeah, that's going to be tough to overcome, uh, especially for these Miami guards if they're trying to get to the rim. We've compared this year's Miami squad and their run to the Final Four to the likes of Auburn in 2019, taking down a couple of big ni- couple of big names, a couple of big-time coaches, and some really good talent along the way. Auburn's Final Four run, it ended in the Final Four against Virginia, and I'm going to say Miami's run will end against UConn. I just think the Huskies are playing too good, man. They are dominating college basketball right now. I did not believe in them coming into the tournament. I didn't. And you can go back and and listen to it. I did not believe in this team when the brackets came out. They have proven me wrong so far in the tournament. They're not going to prove me wrong this time. I think UConn will win tomorrow. I think that's going to be a really fun game, though. UConn and Miami. I do think it'll be really good. I think it'll be high scoring. I think it'll be be runs both ways. It's going to be a great game. As uh, I think Kim Palm has... UConn winning by seven. Wow, that Eight, seems eighty to sixty-three. That seems like a lot. Seems like it's a, a lot. lot. But hey, look, enjoy the Final Four tomorrow. Don't let anybody tell you that it's trash because there's no giant names in it. UConn's been the most dominant program in college basketball the last twenty-five years. That's what we have found out on this Friday afternoon. Carter, always a pleasure, man. I'll see you on Monday. We'll talk more about the Final Four. Talk about the national championship game on Monday, and a whole lot more. Come back 2-4 to right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe in the weather. Have a great weekend, and stay safe. I'll talk to you later.